My name is Chris. I'm Andy. And I'm Steve. And this is Streaming Things, uh, the very best Stranger Things recap podcast. Uh, this episode is Chapter 7, The Lost Sister. But before we get to that, we got a few business items to attend to, some brass tacks, if you will. If you have not yet subscribed, rated, or reviewed this podcast, you are sorely behind, and that's okay. We are procrastinators here in this world. As human beings, that happens from time to time. I understand. But now's a good time to get to that. And in fact, if you do so... By November 7th, uh, rate and review the podcast, I, I mean, on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're finding it, and screenshot it and send it to streamingthingspod at gmail.com, you are automatically entered to win a $100 Amazon gift card. 100 bones! That's how much we respect our listeners and or need your help to <laughs> become a thing. <laughs> it's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. We get reviews, you get possible Amazon gift card. Nobody knows how the algorithms work uh, on the Apple podcast, but we need your help. We know that, that it is some function involving reviews and ratings and things. And there's quite a few Stranger Things podcasts, and we believe that we deserve to be higher on that list than we currently are, and we need your help if you agree, or if you don't agree and you merely would like the gift card, that's okay, too. That's, well, that's well, what we're willing to do. Just, yeah. Just do it, as Nike would say. We're not that proud. We'll take any review we can get. Yeah. <laughs> also, we only have about three episodes left of uh, Stranger Things 2, and we would like to continue doing this. So you, if you have uh, some sort of feedback or an idea about how you would like us to continue the show, um, what kind of shows you would like us to review next, or any kind of films, anything that's streaming really would be under the umbrella of streaming things. Streaming things. We thought ahead when we titled it. So send that in to the same email address and we would love to hear your thoughts. Anywho, moving right along to chapter seven, The Lost Sister. Netflix describes it this way. Psychic visions draw Eleven to a band of violent outcasts and an angry girl with a shadowy past. A shadowy past, much like the shadow monster. What? (laughs) So this episode is... uh, a bit controversial. Uh, I noticed before we viewed it that it had some detractors, quite a, quite a few. A few friends of mine I knew in person didn't like this episode, and a lot of people across the interwebs were not fans of Chapter 7 of Season 2, and I knew that going in. Uh, what did you guys think about that just overall? Do you agree, disagree? Uh, we'll start with Steve. Um, I kind of had the same thing you you had where I uh, came in knowing that this was controversial. A lot of people didn't like it. And I think in a way that colored my bias a little bit, Mm. um, which I'm sure it's in some way, shape or form colored all of our biases. But I kind of ended the episode. I mean, I don't it's not my favorite episode of Stranger Things by any chance, by any stretch of the term. But I didn't think it was this hot garbage that people were telling me it was. Mm. Um, I, I never at one point thought like, well, this is where Stranger Things is starting to lose me. I, I never had that moment. I, I was just kind of like, well, I wouldn't have done a couple things that they did, but it's not terrible. I don't think it's as bad as people were making it out to be. Okay. Um, it was pretty bad. Andy? <laughs> <laughs> what, how did you feel? Um, it wasn't god-awful. I mean, the, this is probably the worst Stranger Things episode there's been. Um, and we all agreed three wasn't all that good. Uh, and I think that this was significantly worse. Um, I, I think just a big part of it is that this was obviously just the 11 episode, you know what I mean? And uh, she was completely absent from episode six. And so this was like her time to shine. But it was a in a poor uh, kind of wannabe X-Men starting thing. I, I, I don't know. It, it was uh, it did some things that I think were necessary and it set up uh, like some moral boundaries for 11 which is really effective but as a whole uh, yeah i i could have done without it you know yeah what do you think i it's tough um see i don't want to sound arrogant but that's just impossible because i'm I'm a (laughs) cocksucker so it's just i'm gonna come right out with it i think most people dislike this episode because it's so vastly different from the rest of the show up to this point and it's not necessarily a bad episode. It's just almost like a completely different show mm-hmm. for about 45 minutes. And 
I think your average person just can't compute that and is unwilling to. They're shocked. It's kind of a shock to the system, much like the cold open of the season premiere uh, that took place in Pittsburgh with this crew of folks uh, was just vastly different in tone. It's almost like you clicked on the wrong show on Netflix for about Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. And I think people disliked it for that reason. And I think this is the first time ever that Stranger Things has followed one character throughout an entire show and a lot of shows do Mm -hmm. that but this is the first time that Stranger Things has done that Mm -hmm. which was a little bit shocking as well so you're missing all of the Stranger Things elements Uh, there's no small town there's no hopper there's no band of uh, you know preteen boys um, with any of that flavor whatsoever I don't want to ever mention the flavor of preteen boys (laughs) ever again Uh, I really enjoyed the episode um, having said all that Um, I think what they should have done is push the envelope a little farther uh, further rather for me that would have been better I, I like the violence of it uh, the moral ambiguity I think they could have taken that even further and it would have been better um, the quirkiness of the gang I really enjoyed um, I don't know I can't say a whole lot yet we're going to talk about it at great length soon but I think there was a lot of stuff that really worked and if they had taken it even further I think it would have been better do you think a lot some of the backlash that this episode in particular is getting is strictly where it is in the timeline of episodes cuz the previous episode ends on such a cliffhanger like the demodogs are attacking yeah. the the um the Hawkins lab. Yeah, that's true. It, it's starting to ramp up and then they took this time to do all this um side action shit. Yeah. That's partly what it is too, I think. Um everybody's like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah," cuz it was kind of slow going this season uh, comparatively mm-hmm. anyway, and then they took this huge tangent right as things started to ramp up, which is not their style. Um luckily it's the binge model and I don't, you know, I feel like 90% of the people that didn't like this episode immediately watched the next one and we're like, sure. "Oh, okay. Back home." <laughs> right. If this has been a week to week basis, that have been outrage for a week for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh but like again, I really like this um and I think it's Shows where the show could go and where most people would hate it, but I would enjoy it. I would love to see um, adult versions of the kids and adult version of Eleven uh, maybe takes place in the 90s with a bunch of 90s references uh, with Eleven in her mid 20s. I would love to see that season three. We're probably never going to get that, but uh, I think a big its biggest problem is that it only has the one character that we know and care about. And a lot of time is spent with this band of hooligans that mm -hmm. I'm just the whole time I'm sitting there like I'm probably never going to see you in the show again. And so therefore any characterization that's happening right now is going in one ear and out the other. And uh, just and like you said, a big part of it is that it's just different than than what I'm used to. And maybe not for the better, but you know, if, if, if you guys enjoyed it, then fuck yeah. You know, well, let's talk about (laughs) it. Specific things that worked or didn't work. Uh, the cold open is, um, a rehash of 11's mother, Terry and her little cyclical, her circle dream as she begins to call it later in her simplistic way. Uh, Beck, uh, sorry, excuse me. Her sister, Becky uh, inquires, uh, what 11 saw when she went in there and tries to pry her for information. Um, and she tries to show her the girl and Eleven comes to the conclusion that her mother sent her there, called her there to see eight was the whole mm-hmm. point of all of that. Uh, Becky has old files of Terry's MK ultra stuff, which I found a little strange and Eleven searches for eight in there, finds a little photo of her. And then she catches Becky calling uh, Flo Florence at the uh, Hawkins Sheriff's department. And she sees that as a betrayal and, mm-hmm proceeds to rob Becky and dip out, <laughs> which I thought was uh, funny. You think she was a little hard on Becky? I think so. I've, I also think it's funny that we're collectively three for three on predicting character betrayals, it seems like. <laughs> I thought it was a little more subtle than we had predicted with Becky, though. Yeah. yeah. And there's no evidence so far that Becky was well, complicit in what happened to her mother, just kind of a normal person who doesn't know how to handle this crap. Yeah. I still think that could be the case. You know, maybe I think not. they kind of but... lost the window on that, though. I'm bringing Becky back for that reveal. Maybe. Since she's already dipped out on her. It was I, awesome that she robbed her and took off. She goes and checks the wallet and is like, oh, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> like, I love it. And I like to imagine that she is extremely poor and is now like really struggling to pay her bills. <laughs> you you deserve that, Becky. <laughs> she goes and checks like the medicine cabinet. Oh, where the Percocet's gone? <laughs> I, I, I feel like we have this pattern this season of guessing where things are going to go. And we always guess at around a nine and it's like a four. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, for sure. That is somebody wearing 
affecting the skin of her distant brother that's really an alien from planet Kruton. <laughs> Possessed by the devil. <laughs> oh, no, that's just her cousin um, who's got a little bit of drinking problem, turns out. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's cool, too. I felt um, this opening sequence also... I, I, can't, I can't remember. Maybe you guys do. and You can help me with this. But we find out that Eleven is now accessing the in-between in her sleep. Because mm. before she seems she's to require been, less and less effort to get to the in-between for sure. Yeah, because she initially tries to look for eight and does the whole rigmarole of turning on the TV static and blindfolding her and she can't find her. Yeah. But then she happens to find her in the middle of, of her sleeping and she wakes up and is like, Becky, and that's why, when she finds Becky calling mm-hmm. Flo. And you can you can either read that one of two ways, that she her power is growing or she's becoming more accustomed at using it, which makes a lot of sense, or mm-hmm. that the writing is becoming a little more shoddy and the rules are starting to bend. Um, and it's really a matter of how you choose to view it, I think, at this point. Yeah, we'd never really add any sort of set rules for how these powers work. And, you know, we've talked about that several times at this point. So, like, how exactly does she do what that what she's doing? And can she do this? Can they do that? We just still don't even know if the Demogorgons can see. There are a lot of yeah. things that are nebulous. <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, they don't really matter. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, get the information across and move on. And I, for, for one, feel that the Duffers have earned the benefit of the doubt, I think, for most of this stuff. They're very sure. tight storytellers. It's pretty consistent that she's getting better. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did have a lot less time to write this story, so there's more holes. But, uh, again, they've given us the benefit, or we should give them the benefit of the doubt. So we see uh, Terry watching the news on Action 8, and it zooms in on the 8. <laughs> uh, very on-the-nose thing that I, I still appreciate it, as obvious as it was. Um, I kind of liked it. It was kind of a fun, like, yeah, yeah. we're going to finally see her. We're going to Eight's mm. house. Burning in a trash can. Uh, <laughs> cut to Eleven, who apparently learned how to purchase a bus ticket very quickly. I wrote that down, too. How the fuck does she know how the public transit system works? I, I like? mean, it's difficult for me, and I'm almost 30, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and she just walks in, I assume, with her tiny lexicon. Um, Mamas. <laughs> I want to see... Sister. How much money do you have there, young lady? Uh, mama. Uh, okay, well. She, they just, she just hands them, like, all the Percocet and shit that she grabbed out of <laughs> Becky's purse, and they're like, that'll do, kid. <laughs> Where would you like to go? Eight. Okay. Steve, you know, <laughs> we're going to need some help over here. Friends don't lie. <laughs> Why oh. ain't your friend? <laughs> uh, I love the sequence of 11 seeing Chi-Town for the first time. Yeah. I mean, she's never seen a city of any size whatsoever, any kind of, uh, you know, the largest amount of people she's ever seen, I believe, is a school assembly in Hawkins. Right. Uh, so it's awesome to see the wonder in her eyes. I kind of got to see Sh- uh, Chicago through her eyes, and uh, it was awesome. I mean, I've been there, and it's overwhelming as an adult mm-hmm. and for the first time, so it's really cool that sh- the sense of wonder on her face. Uh, the guy that bumps her crossing the street and... We get that throwback mouth breather, uh, which I really appreciated. There's a couple of fun moments because there's even that shot where she uh, is smiling like, yeah, this is a cool place. And the police look at her. She's like, oh, don't look at them. Don't look at them. Yeah. <laughs> He's like terrified. They can't see me if I don't see them. <laughs> and then a little corny how she stumbled immediately into the uh, local Skid Row-esque right. alley. Uh you know, because I've walked around many a city and I can't seem to find those things. I really want to. <laughs> it does. That's why it's in so many films and shows. It's It quickly shows like this is a bigger, more dangerous place. You are a tiny fish and that's all they wanted to show there. But it came off as pretty tropey and corny to me. Do you think the insane homeless guy screaming, they're all dead, is yeah. a nice uh, throwback to everyone in Hawkins Lab is dead? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I never even think about that. He's very prophetic, the homeless, yeah. crazy homeless guys. So then uh, Eleven. On a Rorschach, just the end is nigh. Eleven's pretty much Jane now. I mean, I refuse to call her that, but I mean, she's a, a real person and she has a name and her name is Jane and she likes to go by that now. I believe she introduces herself to Kali as Jane. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably not going to refer to her as Jane. It might take me a while, but I think that the show is trying to say she is transitioning to assimilation, you know? But do you think Mike will call her Jane or the whole crew? Because they call her L. I mean, yeah. I don't know. She might be like Jane, you know. And she had, well, we'll get to that later. But she has a positive flashback of them calling her L. Yeah, and that's true. Maybe her so maybe, new personality is Jane and she doesn't like that. She hasn't chosen that path. Yeah, she is. To her, she's L. So then we meet uh, Kali's crew. Uh, we are in, She stumbles upon them. She's, uh, you know, echolocated them as Eleven does. So we meet Dottie. Mick, Axel, and Funshine. 
<laughs> all of the soldiers of Kali. Uh, and a little interaction with them. They're a little overly violent with a little girl. I mean, he does try to shank her with his mm. switchblade. And Kali makes sure that doesn't happen by uh, allowing him to see spiders on his hand. Um, I liked Eight's introduction a lot. The whole little spiders thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we get a little um, introduction into more of what she can do with her powers. The score was great. I, you know, I forget, but it was some pretty powerful scent as she walked down the stairs. And she looks mm-hmm. badass with that undercut and like faux hawk and stuff. Yeah, her her costume design and ca- overall character look is a really cool look. Yeah, I love it's the punk neat. look yeah. for sure. So I really enjoyed I that. Um, and then Eight's pretty cynical about Hopper. Uh, you know, Eight takes Eleven under her wing almost immediately once she finds out that she's, you know, they have that cool sister moment after she witnesses Eleven uh, levitate the switchblade. Um I don't know. She, you know, tries to paint the life up to this point that Eleven has had as phony. And I don't think in a manipulative way. I think it's just her general actual viewpoint on the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a little sign in the background of the bedroom that Eleven's in that's very blatantly says spiritual advisor. Yeah. <laughs> and Kali tries to take that role on uh, almost immediately. Um, well, takes- she, she has that role with the others. Sure. We, we come to find out. Yeah, I wrote a note. Um, why is the crew so loyal to eight? Which we do find a little bit about, but not enough to my satisfaction. She, yeah. They're yes. apparently like mental patients that she has freed is what I come to understand. Not all of them. Yeah, I think, I I think Dottie's the only one who is in a mental war. <laughs> some some sort of band of orphans. That, yeah, we get this generic like she saved us. And so now we help her out. Yeah. Like, which is, yeah, kind of generic, but you know, it, sure. Un, don't really need to know the background. Just need to know that they're they're the uh, merry men to her Robin Hood. <laughs> and we find Who's out the Friar Tuck, <laughs> Dottie for sure. We find out immediately <laughs> that uh, they are straight up assassins that track down uh, old members of MK Ultra and and kill them. And that's what they were doing. It was not a bank in the season premiere. Premiere. It was someone's house. Apparently had a weird alarm. Uh, and they straight shot that, that dude Brinks, in the face. That was Brinks, man. Shot Brinks alarms don't, don't play. <laughs> I think it was ADT. <laughs> they have really bad luck. Like, anytime they go to kill somebody, the police are there fucking immediately. Well, like, this episode, it was record. sort of explained. One of the police officers, as they got into the van in Chicago, like, kind of squinted. Officer him, Mustache. Which I don't know how he recognized the van <laughs> that was last seen in Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. But I get that they were trying to show why the cops showed up so quickly last time. Officer Mustache is on the case. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> he is the man. Uh, I thought they kind of painted Kali's crew in the D&D party sense. Yeah, a little bit. Because they were like, uh, I do Funshine t- specifically. Funshine is our warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, and they each had these little kind of Dungeons and Dragons uh, classes, I felt like. I've, I've got to say this because this is the one thing. This is the thing that bothers me most about the episode is. So you got Kali as the leader. Mick is the driver. Axel is the gunman slash, you know, he's the intimidating one. And then you got Funshine, who's the warrior. Well, he he would like to think of himself yeah. as intimidating. Sure. Funshine, who's clearly a warrior. He's like the strong dude. What does Dottie do? What the fuck does Dottie do? I don't know. She's, she's our stylist. I'm like, what? And then the whole episode, anytime they cut to Dottie, like, I hated her. And she was the one character in this whole Mary Band where I'm like, well, she's really redundant and serves no purpose. Why is she there? It, it reminds me of something I would write, which is why I love it so much, I think. Because she's pretty useless, but... I really liked her. Uh, she's just kooky. She reminds me of Harley Quinn, sort of. Um, which, you, and even in the comics of Batman, you kind of never Mr. buy Jay. that she's powerful at all. Yeah. Like, oh, she's got a hammer, but she's just a crazy girl. She's crazy. So, yeah. Uh, but there's a point when they're running from the police down the stairs and <laughs> Dottie's still carrying the fly swatter. And that was just a little touch that I loved. Like, I just, oh, I got to bring this. We might need it. You know? Yeah. Uh, I just love touches of madness. And, you know, I enjoyed Dottie. Uh, we need to back up real quick into um, a foray that Eleven had into the Inside Out where we find out she can check her voicemail from afar. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I understand plot-wise why they had to do that. I just thought it was hilarious. She's like, wait, let me check. Beep. Okay. Uh. I mean, this whole episode kind of like did like a meanwhile an hour ago sort of thing. Like after everything that we got in episode six, it cuts to in this episode 
Eleven is just now finishing listening or visiting her mother and seeing her circle dream. And so like we saw that a while ago. And so this was kind of like a backtracking thing. So it may or may not be voicemails. That could be like the timelines or that he was leaving the call. Yeah, Like that's that's where that's happening. And so like at the end of this episode where she's seeing the uh, Mike freaking out saying it's a trap, it's a trap. That might not be an old thing. That might be like a current happening right then and there. Because every time she's in the inside out, that's concurrent vision she's seeing, right? At I least up until this point, I'm pretty sure that's, I always thought they were happening there. Yeah, that's what Andy was saying. I, I didn't yeah. get that vibe, but that makes total sense. Like, this is where Eleven was during those moments. Mm-hmm. So she's actually arriving, if she since she's heading back, not too far after all that stuff. Um, I don't know, Indiana, it's probably only like a three-hour drive, so... <laughs> Depending on where Hawkins is. Right. Yes, very much so. Next to Steve's house. Uh, so, yeah, it's about a mile away. <laughs> Callie's trying to tap and train Eleven. Um, not tap in that sense, but like to tap the power. Um, tap the power. Kind of like how Eleven was tapping Callie earlier. <laughs> tap the power. So, yeah, she's trying to get her to move this uh, train. And she... Time to train Eleven. Get it? Hey. little pun there. And apparently... Eleven is sort of like the Hulk, uh, which we've kind of seen, but never really explicitly talked about out loud. About anger is very much tied to the extent of Eleven's powers, hmm. uh, or at least passion and need. Rather, like you know, she can do small things at at a calm state, but she needs to be very worked up to to move tons of steel, uh, and she manages to do that. And so, Callie's viewpoint on the world is that. She needs to let this out. You have to murder for therapy, <laughs> uh, which is fine. People are do, people do see things that way. Or sometimes. your wound let will it fester. Out. Let it out. Um, I did notice that when she kept like having flashbacks of what was making her angry, it was mostly there's a there's a, I mean there was a presence of Brenner and the Hawkins Lab people, but it was mostly like visions of Mike and Hopper and her mother. Um, which I thought was interesting. So I'm like, I'm wondering if later in an episode she'll have to be tapping into her anger to do something badass and it's not working, but then she finds the power of love for those people <laughs> and that's what makes her super powerful. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, when when she, uh, Callie says, think as you need to be mad, think about something that makes you mad. The first thing it cuts to is uh, Max skateboarding around. Yeah. Like, I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, that's really that's accurate though in a child's mind. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. Hopper took my TV. <laughs> That slut playing with Mike, you know, that's just how kids are. Um, And I I actually appreciate those little touches. Oh, yeah. The Duffers are always really good about remembering what it's like to be a child. Uh, So then they find Ray Carroll, the one that cranked it up to 450 on Terry Ives and apparently used a stun gun on a toddler version of Kali. Uh, and now they're, he's the next one they want to track because Kali has realized that uh, Eleven's powers include the ability to track people with a mere image or thought from miles and miles away. Hey, we can use this to speed things up. Let's go on a death mission right now. Uh, and the soundtrack and the score to their little gear up. I just love the score in this episode. I think that's one of the things that really worked for me. They're always using these 80s tracks and synth noises, but there was something a little more devious and upbeat about the one in this episode. A lot more punk rock. Very punky. And uh, I, for one, appreciated it. And I would like to see a, a spinoff version of this for sure. That was a runaway song, right? Yeah. That was a... Uh... I believe so. Dead and Justice. I think it was Fleetwood Mac. Yes, almost <laughs> assuredly. Um, yeah, I just really love that. I saw Andy really didn't like Punk Eleven. Yeah, um, I, did, I did not at all. He was ruining it for me in the corner, scoffing out audibly. <laughs> did I scoff? Audibly? Oh yeah, you were totally over there. Going, <laughs> it was almost as like a hair from. Wow. <laughs> what didn't you like about dressing up Eleven? Because it struck me too much as like, um, okay, here is the formative moment where like w- get a glimpse at emo 11 and then we can go, go back to things the, the way they were. It just seemed like an unnecessary detour for the character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's a little bit of teenage years of rebellion and this was all in one little day for her. <laughs> right. Just the, the whole, uh, goth angst, uh, I love the way she looked. I think it looked a little disingenuine because this is where Millie Bobby Brown's age does become a hindrance. Mm -hmm. She's the, I don't know if you've ever seen interviews with the actress, Millie. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's the sweetest little girl. Mm -hmm. And so even though she can pull angst and anguish and very much, uh, very strong sentimentality from, you know, her own experience, even though she's 13, she was not able to pull being like a devious person or looking super badass. 
in an overt way, I don't yeah. think very well. So in the Reservoir Dogs uh, montage march, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that's where <laughs> yeah. I scoffed. She just kind of wasn't able to quite hack it, you know? That could be part of the part of the plan, it though. Works because, because she doesn't stick around. She's yeah. not comfortable in that role. Right. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. I, I mean, I'm, I'm with Andy. I don't visually like the look of Punk Rock 11 just yeah. because... You know, just, I'll be honest, I'm a fanboy, so it's like, that's not how my variant of Eleven looks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I didn't do that on Halloween. I didn't do that on Halloween. Where's her curls? Yeah. <laughs> How's Hopper going to tussle those curls? <laughs> I dug it. Um, and then, so they rob a gas station on their way real quick. Uh, Kali uses a really cool version of her powers. So your bathroom is leaking. He's like, oh, shit. You know, he's stepping, <laughs> stepping over water that's not there. That shot of him miming the water yeah. was so brilliant. Yeah, I love it. It was awesome. Uh, and then he realizes too soon that the, he needs to come outside because there's a bunch of crazy freaks look, out there wandering around. Catches Axel stealing some cigarettes, which I respected. Dottie's getting some Tampax. I love how, yeah, like grab what you need. I think only one person's grabbing food or anything while they're pumping gas. Uh, Funshine's grabbing a six pack of beer. Axel's going for cigarettes and money, but that's fair. <laughs> you know, Dottie's just over there she's playing got the with ice water. Yeah, I feel like she's playing with sticky hands. Oh, something. she had she had glasses too that had some the tag glasses, still on yeah. them. Dottie's awesome. She knows how to live. Uh, so anyway, we cut to uh, ransacking Ray Carroll's house. They're robbing him. You know, Callie's trying to get Eleven to kill him, um, which I knew Eleven wasn't going to do because she is uh, force choking him. And we all know Eleven could melt his brains right. in a mere flick of her neck or snap his neck by twisting her head a little bit. So since mm-hmm. she was taking her sweet time, I could figure we weren't going to. I didn't catch. Didn't expect that 50 year old man to have two small children in the back room. Yeah, uh, that was a shocker. Hey, Ray's living that retirement and well. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where the mom is, but he's not very fit to parent. Yeah, that's true. There wasn't a mother. I think it would have done in the service to snap his neck, honestly. I'm a weird guy. I love, uh, I do believe violence is harm, almost never the answer. Um, but I do love a good movie that um, goes around that. You know what I mean? Like every now and then you'll get a good film because it's a trope to be like, seek vengeance, catch the villain. Then decide that you're better than the villain and leave them alive, right? right. Like, that's mm-hmm. a trope. And then the villain will try to kill them, and that's when they kill them in defense or something. Yeah. But I always love, it's usually like a Tarantino flick or something, when they get there, and they're like, you're better than this, and then they slit their throat. Like, nope. <laughs> I'm always like, yes! Uh, so I was kind of, and it's terrible, because she's like 13. I was kind of hoping 11 would be like, you know? Right. Um, and then fling the cruisers in the air and get out of there. I'm a terrible person. Uh, it would have been pretty badass. What did you guys know. think? That would be badass. Okay, thank you. I'm not terrible. It would be badass, but I think th- that's not the story they're telling with sure. the character in better this than, Better moment. for the character, but can we all agree? Yeah. yeah, no, no, for sure. I would like, I wish there was like an alternate ending to yeah. this episode where Eleven just wrecks Chicago. And then just <laughs> kills Axel and marries Dottie. And, uh, <laughs> we're going too far. Uh, but we do find out... Uh, Whatever you feel about Ray Carroll, uh, a very important nugget. Uh, Dr. Brenner lives, apparently. According to Ray. Maybe. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I don't know, because we have like the whole, um, no, he trusts me, I know where he is kind of thing. And then eventually later, and we'll get to that, um, the vision of Dr. Brenner. But there's n- not really been anything in well, the series we can talk about it. I mean, yet. there's very little that happens in this show. I kind of, we can go all over right. it. Uh, well, um Eleven has the vision um, uh, from that Callie uh, forces on her of Doctor Brennan walking in. You you didn't think to look for me or something, or you your have friend a disagrees. terrible wound, Eleven. It's it's, it's festering. Hard. Do you remember what festering means? Why didn't you look for me? I was fine. I've just been hanging out at Dustin's house this entire time. No <laughs> demogorgon can kill me. Did you feel weird during that scene, like? Eleven knows that that's a vision, and Callie knows that Eleven knows that's a vision. So I, it's kind of like I was sitting there, like, "Why are you doing this?" And like he, Doctor Brenner's like speaking words for Callie's, Callie's words. words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's and, why that she he's the festering and all that. Which I thought yeah. it was a good touch. Yeah, it was a good touch, but just like it, it was an. She's odd trying scene. to push her buttons. Like you are not looking for Doctor Brenner, and maybe you can't find him for some weird reason, but. I want to show you a physical manifestation of how important this is that what we're doing. She's trying to persuade Eleven because not only did, and I think what was done with Callie was great because they could have easily done it where she's sort of a malign 
force that mm-hmm. wants to use Eleven's stronger powers. Because let's be honest, I mean, uh, what Callie can do is very useful if done intelligently, mm-hmm. but Eleven is far more powerful, right? Sure. And she needs Eleven. And so they could have easily had like a utilitarian, like Callie doesn't care about her, but wants to use her. And there's an element of that. But Callie very clearly is honest when she says that I am whole now. It's very good to have someone like me. She is very sentimental and wants her sister Mm -hmm. to hang out with her. Yeah. Um, And I think that was cool. And so she's like desperately trying to convince Eleven of something that she believes that this is what's important. Not Mm -hmm. your friends in Indiana. But finding these people and making them pay for what they did to us. It just seemed like, I mean, any excuse to get Matthew Modine back on screen, I'm all for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I'm just like, yeah, sure. Thank we you for saying thing. that, Andrew. I really appreciate <laughs> it. Um, it just seemed like that. Wouldn't that be a moment for Callie to say like, hey, so, you know, your uh, super sonar ability where you can just based on a picture or memory, find out where someone is. Mind doing that real quick. See if that guy was lying. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I guess I could kind of skip ahead, but yeah. And plus it kind of wasn't where the emotion at that time was. She had just stopped her from killing Ray. And so Callie's pissed too. Mm-hmm. And so she's using her, I don't know. It, it rang true for me. And I thought it was cool to have like fake Modine on this on screen. Yes. Fake Modine on screen. <laughs> Fodine. Fodine. Nice. <laughs> That's great. How do you feel about Paul Reiser's performance? <laughs> he's no Modine, am I right, boys? I think he's a total hack. I'll, I'll come out and say it. I don't like saying bad things about people, but Paul Reiser can just suck my dick. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Uh, so, and at some point, you know, we talked briefly about it. Eleven sees that Mike and Hopper are in great danger. Uh, there's a lot of emotion in that scene that meant a lot to me. We can talk about in chocolate pudding. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, and yeah, uh, eight does some cool things. Maybe you guys want to talk about, maybe you don't. She, like the giant iron wall when they're oh, fleeing the police. Dope. Um, I love the shot where she runs upstairs with the rest of the crew and yeah. she's like, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And they all like stand still. And there's that neat shot where. It, it goes uh, to the viewpoint it, of the. Cop. It like, it goes towards Callie. The camera walks past her and then it goes to mustache cop and follows him and when the camera turns around they're all gone mm-hmm. like i eat that type of shit up in films when they do stuff oh, yeah. like that very good so i i just like that i thought that was more visually impressive than the than the, the steel bars even though that was really cool too it was neat it was mm-hmm. very out of place i felt like yeah that's the most it's like um, steampunk like yeah. woo but i dug it <laughs> but yeah that's the most out there sort of special effect i think i think they've done so far in for sure Stranger things absolutely um, and then I have Dottie has fly swatter, but we already spoke about that. <laughs> um, and then Eleven uh, decides to ditch Collie and gets back on a bus, talks to a creepy old lady and heads back to Hawkins. And that's the end of that episode. There was a cool transition that you guys were both talking about. We didn't, or didn't yeah. want to talk about that later. Well, there's a couple things. Um, one thing I noticed in that shot when they're running to the van and the police start shooting, well, technically Axe will start shooting at the police and they return fire. <laughs> right. Um, Mick actually is the one, if you watch her, she's the one that grabs Eleven and kind of shields her and is like, come on, Eleven, let's go, or Jane, let's go. And like, so Mick's actually shielding her, which I thought was kind of an interesting character touch on that. Yeah. But that, that shot of Eleven finally running away and like leaving Callie, I love that sequence of her running away from the van in slow motion and then Callie's like, all like distraught and like uh she's in tears and she looks in the the uh the van mirror and there's that cool transition where it goes from her reflection and then all of a sudden it's uh jane slash 11's reflection on the bus that was a neat yeah that was a really cool transition very good editing there oh yeah super solid and she tries to hide her tears from her band of merry men Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) that was cool callie you know clearly has not shown very much sentimentality up to this point i feel like and doesn't want her little freaks to see it Hmm. Um, so that's all we got for the recap. Andy, let's uh, talk about this next segment that we're going to slide right into. Slide right into the chocolate pudding. It's where we go around and talk about our favorite scenes, mm. segments, or sequences of the episode. Um, go around, pick top three. Steve, what was your number three? My number three is seeing our good friend, Matthew Modine, again. <laughs> uh, I just like that scene a lot just because I'm a huge fan of uh, Dr. Brenner. I love the intrigue of him possibly still being alive. I kind of want to know how he made it out of uh, the high school alive. It looked like he was sharing a very tender... He wasn't sharing a tender French kiss with the Demogorgon last time we saw him, but uh, uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out, but he's always great to see on screen and it's nice to know that he's still the central antagonist to Eleven's psychosis. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I would have to go with my number three would be the uh, bathroom leaking vision. It's an <laughs> itty bitty little thing, but that it was, was nice. so funny. Yeah, very well I done. Just, you know, there's so much. The, this whole episode, I kept thinking like all the different things that uh, Callie slash eight could do with her powers. Like when the police find them in their warehouse, I'm like, what if she had like, I don't like a swarm of bees just shoot in through the windows and they're like, ah, I'm running away. I don't know why I thought of bees, but that is what I thought of. Fucking <laughs> yeah. guys. Um, hey man. Bees. Mine was pretty. So my, mine was pretty. T- <laughs> oh, my eyes. Um, mine was pretty tame too. Uh, but that, that's, I, I just loved like the brilliance of the, your bathroom's leaking thing. And then the, the beautiful miming acting of that, uh, uh, gas station attendant like trying to step over water that (laughs) isn't there uh yeah it's just yeah it's pretty cool what's your number three man uh my number three is when 11 meets eight uh that whole little sequence uh, a couple of nuggets there that really stood out to me uh callie's descent down the stairs and the score to that just her intro her little um london accent everything i loved about the character of collie um a lot of people are mocking it and comparing it to x-men that's not a job a jab at andy that's nothing new hmm. i really dug it i fucking love x-men and <laughs> all of the uh societal commentary that comes along with x-men which is kind of present here as well so fuck y'all <laughs> you heard it here <laughs> first it's like, it's like if i made a short film and he's like oh my god it's so tarantino I'm like oh thanks <laughs> appreciate that <laughs> bitch uh and then the little cute scene where she asks Kali if she's real and like it's, you know, 11 poking her face. That's yeah. adorable. They have a cute little sister moment. And we've talked at great length about female role models for 11 and how much we want to see them interact and how much we want to see 11 meet Nancy. And, and instead we get someone who's much more like Jane to help raise her uh, and that she has a horrible outlook on the world. She still does have some positive impact uh, somebody who can identify very much with what 11 has gone through to help bring her into badass womanhood. And uh, I dug it. I love the strong female. I hate that phrase, strong female character, because just females in general are just as equally strong as men. But Strong people characters. Kali is a <laughs> strong people character. And uh, I love that for Eleven. I thought it was great. Fuck everybody. Yeah. Steve, you're number two. My number two is just this is kind of cheating but it's the whole sequence of 11 oh that's weird i know it happens every episode but it's the whole sequence of 11 arriving to chicago up through meeting callie um we 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 talked before of just the way she kind of lit up looking at this big city and it's a lot of fun and then the whole sequence of meeting callie everything you just said is spot on so right that's my number two Andy, number two. Uh, my number two would have to be the uh hallucination of dr brenner um as odd as I felt the scene was, like, as far as, like, the uh, character motivations between um, Callie and Jane. Um, does feel really weird calling her Jane. I don't like it. I'm not going to do it yeah, again. Nah. Between Callie and Elle. Um, I just, it, I loved having Matthew Modine back on screen. Um, as far as, like, whether or not he is alive, I I don't feel like he is. But so you're still not sold that he's alive? No, I'm not. Um but I do love the intrigue that it made me feel because I'm just sitting here watching this like, how the fuck did he survive the, that? Because the fucking Demogorgon like ate everybody and it, it tackles him. And of course, he dies, quote, off screen. But it's kind of like, I don't know how you get out of that. Um, mm. But all of that's running through my head when he comes back on screen there. And like for a split second, I was like, holy, how the fuck did he find her? And then when he starts using Callie's lines, I'm like, oh, okay, it's a projection and whatnot. But they got me. You know, they kind of pulled that, the curtain for a second. In that front would of my be eyes. really weird if that was actual. Brenner. like, oh, hey, I just showed up. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's what went through my head. I was like, what? I um, live in the slums now of Chicago. <laughs> Where's the bathroom, Kali? <laughs> How do you like the Windy City? Uh, I had to kill Axel. <laughs> just, I just wanted to let you know. He stuck a knife at me and I shot him. Um, I feel like we're going to see uh, Dr. Brenner with some sort of uh, horrible scarring mm. from his foray with the Demogorgon. And I can almost guarantee that. That's my guess. Mm. Putting it on. There. Seen some spoilers. He's got a huge, yeah. It looks like he has just like no. a pedal scar like in the middle of his yeah. face. I don't know, how would you do like a pedal bite? Uh, <laughs> my number two is the 
exhibition of eight's power where we get that awesome I don't know what you call it, Steadicam shot uh, where they track into the police officer's point of view mm-hmm. and everyone's invisible and we get to cut right by them, you know, very creepily walking right through. And then we cut to, uh, 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 was it Mick or Mac? Mick. Yeah, we cut to Mick just terrified smoking that, like, I wish I hadn't lit a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. What do I do? I need to ash it. And I'm a smoker, so I know, like, it's going in my eyes. This ash is getting really long. Can I? coughing. And I pictured the cop, like... They're gone, but it smells like smoke. They can't, they can't have gotten far. Yeah. They still smell their smoke. Right. Uh, I just love that. I thought that was very creative. It reminded me sort of like X-Men, like Days of Future Past, mm-hmm. where they started using really creative ways of showing what the X-Men can do with their powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it X-People now? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my number two. Steve. Your numero uno. My number one is actually the culmination of several things that I think finally led to a, a, a moment in this episode. Uh, as far back as episode two of the season, people have been telling Eleven, this is your home. Mm. Um, you know, Hop and her, you know, clean up the house. And he's like, this can be your home. And then she runs away from that, goes to Becky's house, and she's like, I can put a bed here for you. This can be your home. Runs away from Becky, goes to Callie. Callie sets up her bed. This can be your home. And then finally, at the end of this episode, when she's running away from, uh, she runs away from Callie. It's like her, like actually going to her home. She tells the lady on the bus, the lady who's like, by the way, way too like, oh, you mind if I sit next to you? You didn't give me permission. I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> oh, you just a little chatterbox, <laughs> bitch. I don't know you. If I was in eleven shoes, I'd be like, oh my god, please go away, go away, go away. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that moment where she says, like, I'm going home. I was just like, mm, yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, you is. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> just a little old lady's neck just snaps because she won't shut up. <laughs> are you a little t- <laughs> Oh, you just a little chatterbox. Mouth breather. Uh, my number one is the uh, eight using her powers to blind the cops. Um, that was a really... Uh, creative shot I, I would love I, I doubt it's the case but I would love to it have been done practically so like it's one take and they're like okay as soon as the camera gets past here you guys go run and hide yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> which undoubtedly is not how they did it um, but especially with the uh, cigarette being lit uh, with Mick I'm sitting there like oh my god it's getting in her eyes you're gonna choke you're gonna cough I thought she was gonna <laughs> cough like yeah. I thought that it was like a character thing for her to be or not character but a, a little undoing of the plan um didn't end up being the case but still totally worked um yeah and, and then all the reasons you said just good stuff chris what is your number one Mine on number eins. whoa you like how i worked three languages into the chocolate pudding segment by the way i don't know you can listen on the, on the playback you'd be super <laughs> impressed uh my number one is uh when 11 sees that mike and hopper are in danger and then makes the decision to abandon her new sister whom she does care about I don't know. I don't. I think there was a moment there that is all because this show takes a detour. Like we're out of our element. We're uncomfortable in Chicago. Like Stranger Things isn't in fucking Chicago. And so when I see Mike and Hopper, I'm able to experience with Eleven the nostalgia and 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 the missing of home. Mm-hmm. And so it affected me profoundly. I actually shed a little tear. Got a little. Choked yeah. up in my chest when she sees Mike and and Millie always does that to me when her she's just is able to look crushed and vulnerable mm-hmm. at a snap of her little fingers. And so she's always able to elicit that. But I think it's only because that the episode is out of its element that it's just, I felt it so strongly like, yeah, go home. I, <laughs> I need Hawkins. <laughs> There's only two episodes left. You, know? you need to get there. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's my number one. And that finishes the chocolate pudding segment. Steve, What's next? What's next? Why it's Easter Eggos. What's that? Easter Eggos is a segment where we uh, watch the episode and we write down our favorite references that could be to cultural significant moments. It could be to past films. It could be to past comic books, books, anything really, anything that inspires or the creatives behind Stranger Things. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Who wants to start us with some low-hanging egos? Um, I'll start off with the songs I heard in the egos. The first song I heard was uh, "Runaway" by the bon- by the Bon Jovi. The Bon Jovi, 
You know him? The Bon Jovi. The Bon Jovi. Uh, <laughs> My other ride is Bon Jovi. <laughs> Have you ever seen those bumper stickers? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also, funny enough, the next song was by The Runaways. That was Dead End Justice. That was during the scene that Chris liked where they're punking out uh, Eleven. And then uh, Chris had to help me with this one, but the final, the credits music is uh, Birds Fly Whisper to a Scream by The Icicle Works. I love The Icicle Works. Nice. I love how like uh, Netflix usually sometimes will put the uh, title of the song if it plays in the subtitles. Sometimes but, they won't. But for that song specifically, they just said new wave music plays. I know. <laughs> like the guy who does that also didn't know who it was and didn't care to look. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, do you have a couple of low hanging egos? Uh, really, I, you can start dropping I, us in the big ones. I really only have a couple egos at all for this episode. Um, a dearth. When uh, a, a dearth, <laughs> a scarcity, a lack thereof. Um, when. Uh, uh, Eleven uh, finally makes it to Callie's uh, little warehouse. There's an eight ball spray painted on the wall, which I thought was cool. Like oh. this, is, this is uh, eight's place. Uh, another numerical. Oh, I was like, what the <laughs> fuck does that have to do with anything? <laughs> <laughs> uh, another little numerical one was the bus that she was on when she's getting off. There were actually four numbers for the bus number, but the first one was scratched out, and the other two were four two two. So eight. Yeah, there's another little. Andy's eight so good at basic addition in the yeah, show. These guys love putting these little number Easter eggs in it, and so I appreciate it because I, I am looking for them. Um, <laughs> and then my last one was uh, in in the uh, warehouse. Uh, there was a. There's tons of graffiti everywhere, but one of them says real big King Mob. Did you guys see that? Yeah, yeah I was. Look, that's one of the things it's, I was looking up. Yeah, and it's like a comic book character from the '90s, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out if like that was an intentional thing or if there's something that I'm missing. Did you find something? Yeah, else? Yeah, it sure is. Up? I think it has a lot to do with it. Um, and this is just quick reading. So it's released by Vertigo in 1994. Uh, he's a character in The Invisibles, mm-hmm. I think, uh, which obviously they become invisible at one point. Uh, because of Kali's power. Uh, but in in the fictional character biography of King Mob is that he was a former horror writer um, whose pen name was Kirk Morrison, da 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 leader of the Cell of Invisibles at the beginning of the series. So mm. Kali is sort of a King Mob. Um, and uh, anyway, he's a counterculture terrorist, which is what that whole gang of individuals are. Oh, cool. So, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a whole, whole bunch more of irrelevant things about it, but it sounds like a neat comic. I'm glad to know that I wasn't the only one that... Uh got an X-Men vibe from this episode. You said that yeah. some other people mm-hmm. online have said the same thing because that, that was absolutely... I, in one of my notes I wrote, where is it? Uh, lamest X-Men ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we talked about it a few episodes ago where I compared it to um, Brian Cox's... What's his name? Brian Cox. Brian Cox. Oh, Brian yeah, Co- yeah. His Brian kid Cox's kid is the, his exact power. Oh, um, yeah. And he's an extremely powerful X-Men because of this mm-hmm. power. So, And, you know, if Kali would was a, a bitch she could too she could put whatever she wants in front of 11 like she could make a bank look like mm-hmm. dr brenner and have 11 blow it up you know like she could do <laughs> a bunch of terrible things just when i say lamest x-men ever all i meant was like there were two of you guys that have powers the other guy's like i got a knife yeah <laughs> the other guy's like swatter i <laughs> cross my arms and stand menacingly in hallways check out this hair <laughs> he's got a crazy yeah he's got some crazy hair going on that yeah, guy loved it Fun giant. And then uh, Dottie has Tampax. The yeah. power of Tampax. Hey, <laughs> man. Water. Nobody wants to mess with that. Um, Shirley Temple is a low-hanging ego. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and do the obvious one that uh, Kali's name is a huge Easter egg. Obviously, that is the Hindu goddess is what that refers to. And Kali in lore is the destroyer of evil forces. Uh, she is the ultimate reality. And I feel like Kali has the able uh, the ability to, to make reality, whatever she mm-hmm. wants. And uh, also a divine protector and liberator. So uh, there's a lot of Harry Potter-esque symbolism to her name. Because obviously, uh, what's her name? J.K. Rowling did that a lot. So I don't know how low-hanging that was, man. I didn't know any of that. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm not uh, read up on all the uh, cultural terms there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I knew that Kali was a Hindu goddess. And I, I was like, I bet there's a reason for that. Because I used to have a little mini-armed statue. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, just did a little quick Wikipedia digging. I was like, oh, nice. Very nice. nice. Uh, Stu. Um, so this episode, I felt like there were there were a couple uh, Easter eggs that kept reoccurring. Um, I felt like this episode was a giant callback to Empire Strikes Back, specifically Luke's training at the hands of Yoda. Mm. There's a scene where 
Uh, oh, nice. Yoda has Luke Skywalker to... lift the X-Wing out of the swamp. And he's like, it's too big. And uh, <laughs> it's too damn big. Um, you can take it. But obviously, Eleven has trouble, you know, moving the uh, car, and Callie's encouraging her to tap into her anger. The uh-huh. dark side. The dark side oh. of the force. And then at the end, Callie, or I'm not, I'm sorry, not Callie, but Eleven decides to ditch her, ditch her training, as it were, with Callie to go save her friends, much like Luke does at the end of Very Empire Very nice, Back. which came out in 1980. Damn. That's really good. I took that in a way more wrong direction. We'll find out about that in a second. <laughs> well, what was yours? I want to know what your direction was. I took was. it as a Karate Kid reference uh, with her being like, <laughs> damn, like, like a little bitch ass mean Miyagi. And, uh, <laughs> no, I want that as a shirt. It's a picture of Callie and says bitch ass mean Miyagi. <laughs> Super works though for the whole training montage thing. Yeah, I, know, I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking of an 80s training thing. And I also, I've, all, I've been leaning towards the Warriors with Kali's band for this mm-hmm. entire show so far. Yeah. And for what little we've seen of them. But I'm starting to think it's supposed to be the Lost Boys. That's what I was yeah. thinking yeah. too, like with their just hairstyles yeah. and stuff. It just hit me while I was watching it. I was like, oh, there's another 80s property where they dress like this. It's actually mm-hmm. much more, pro- I don't know why I'm getting my Modine voice at all the time now. It's actually much more appropriate. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to throw the Lost Boys as my final ego. And Steve probably has 10 more. Let's do it. Oh, I've got a couple more. Um, I, I forgot to mention this, but also the for, Force Choking is a Star Wars You're right. You know, that thing was that obvious. She mm-hmm. even has the Darth Vader like hook hand that, yeah. she's, that she's employing. And there was no waxing on or off, so I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> Funshine is the name of Care Bear. Oh. Funshine oh. is also the masked Care Bear that he wears in the nice. scene. So he's nice. wearing the Funshine mask. Hey, we didn't talk about Eleven's creepy baby mask. Yeah, <laughs> it's so weird. She's the newbie. I took because the chick was like Dottie was in the background like oh that's you baby <laughs> I liked it when she had the what was it the Casper mask yeah well which I guess is another ego but Ooh, she wears wow. a Casper mask and she does like the ooh spooky yeah. fingers with it adorable um, Ray's watching Punky Brewster which why is that grown ass man watching Punky <laughs> Brewster he didn't look himself? happy about it it was a sad <laughs> no. sad man uh, and that's my last one. Oh, the Punky yeah. Brewster <laughs> yeah uh, well, that about does it for Chapter 7, which I believe is the shortest by about 35 minutes of any episode we've ever done. Really? Uh, but there was not much to talk about in this episode, really. So if we could keep it all to about an hour, I think our fans would appreciate it. But <laughs> Or maybe they like us going deep, deep, well, ma- deep. Maybe when they focus an episode on one specific character, there's a lot less to digest. Sure, absolutely. And they might be sitting at home right now like, deeper and I'm like I'm giving it all she's got <laughs> which is typically how I respond to that what do you demand. think about Axel's hair yeah, right. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the standalone baby Holly episode yes can't uh, wait when are we gonna get it the finale brothers <laughs> they're gonna resolve everything next episode the finale is just like what's baby Holly been doing this whole time just drinking that's why there's not much to it uh, so look forward to chapter eight coming up next. And again, if you haven't subscribed, rate and reviewed our podcast yet, you need to do that so that we can be seen by the entire world and not just you. Also, tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your cousins. Uh, everybody who watches Stranger Things has the potential to enjoy our wonderful voices. Mm. And you're denying them of that by not advertising via word of mouth. <laughs> Share it with at least 11 people. Yes, Hey, that's symbolism that I don't recognize, but I'm sure it matters to the show. Uh, Being silly. I do. I get it because the character. (laughs) Or eight people. See what I did there? It could be eight, (laughs) but I like 11 more because there's three more people to listen to us. (laughs) Uh, And again, you can email streamingthingspod at gmail.com for any of your uh, positive or negative feedback or any ideas of where we can take the show from here once Stranger Things 2 is over. That's all for now. My name is Chris. I'm Andy. And this has been Streaming Things. Streaming Things. Thank you.